Well, this morning we go back to the Gospel of Luke, but I'm only going to look at one verse. But if you look at the outline, you say, it seems like there's a whole lot of passages in this outline. Well, let me uh, go to the end of your outline. So today, as you follow along, and hopefully it'll be a little bit clearer than it was in the first service, uh, I'm going to kind of take you here and there in the outline as well as here and there throughout Scripture. But if you look at the end of the outline, so if you see the front part of it, just fold it over, and it says the so what? This is the one verse we're looking at from the Gospel of Luke. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Now, one thing that's common for all of us, as I look around, all of you came dressed. You're all dressed, which is good because some of you would look kind of scary if you weren't dressed today. All right, so uh, we're all dressed, but are we dressed ready to do whatever God wants us to do, or are we alert? Probably uh, most of us didn't bring a flashlight with us, but if it was dark, and oh, we do have a flashlight over here. Great, Carol. But if, you know, if, if, we're, if we're in the darkness and there's no street lamps, whatever it might be, we would all bring a light with us. And that's what Jesus is saying. We, we ought to be dressed, ready to go, and we ought to be uh, near light, bringing light with us so that we know where we're going. Uh, but as we look at that, uh, you might be asking the question, because we're not going to look at the entire text today, is, well, number one, why, why is Jesus talking about that now in light of what he's already talked about? And, and then if he is going to talk about in the future, well, what are the details about it? Well, he doesn't give all the details, but I'm going to share with you some of them this morning. Uh, but the main idea here is that we ought to be people ready, prepared to, to anything that God allows to happen in our future, and then ultimately for what he has planned for everyone in the future. Would you agree with that? Uh, if something important is going to happen, you usually want to be ready. Is that true? If someone's coming over to your house, you would be, prefer to be ready than not ready. Shake your head like you're still with me. Some of you are saying, I don't know if I want to listen today, all right? I'd rather be prepared rather than unprepared. And sometimes that's more important than other times, we would all agree. Uh, and I, what I want to say to you, this is most important. And in the first service, there was probably more heat than light. There was more emotion than clarity. But today, in this service, I want to be extremely clear that we are called to be prepared, ready people. Now, part of it is to, to be prepared and ready for just the everyday life that we all live. And, and this is the context of this passage before it. And then next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the context of one verse afterwards. But what Jesus talked about, it says, I don't want you to be people who are overly concerned about material things. Don't, don't be worried about money. Any of you ever worry about finances or money? Okay, I, I, I did a, a Google search a few weeks ago, and it's on the, the top five. And out of the top five, it's three out of the top five. And so money, money, money is what we worry about more than anything else because sometimes we don't think we have enough of it or enough of it to be happy. And so he said, hey, you need to go through life, abstain from all forms or sources of greed, which is a, a strong word to say, look, it, it's not about having a little bit more to be happy. And so we need to, we need to face that up front. And then on the other side, he goes, he goes on right after that and says, oh, oh, by the way, it's not about having a little bit more, but it's, it's also not being afraid that you don't have enough. And, and so as, as you go through life, don't be a person who's overly worried and filled with anxiety about what may or may not happen to you. Now, how many of you, this is probably a novel experience for most of you, how many of you have ever worried about anything? Okay, so, so we kind of struck out in both, uh, both ways. We, we, we have concern about finances, and then we have concern about things that may or may not happen, and we're filled with worry and anxiety. He says, just, just stop it. Just stop it. And we're all thinking, well, that's easier said than 
done. And so what he does now is he goes into a section and says, I'm going to tell you how. And he did a little bit that in the passage that we looked at, and I try to give you some practical things. But what he is saying is you don't have to be fearful about finances. You don't have to be filled with worry because your future is settled. But you only live like that if you're ready for your future and prepared for your future. And that's what we're going to see today. And really, on the emotional side, and this has kind of grabbed me in the first service, is there a couple things I guess I would like for anybody who, who, looks, who hears this message or actually reads this book? There are a couple things that, that God puts pretty plainly. And one of them is heaven and hell. And as you think about heaven and hell, what should you think about when you think about heaven and hell? Number one is about hell, you ought to have that sense that you are scared about hell. In fact, what the preacher or the individual is concerned about somebody else, you want to scare people out of hell, right? Hell's a place we don't want anybody to populate. So this message is to scare, scare the hell out of you, all right? Secondly, if we think about heaven, heaven is a place that we, we ought to be happy about. So I want to scare the hell out of you, and I want you to be happy about heaven, all right? Now, is it, have I been clear? That, that's, that's my goal. And not only about for you, but anybody that you care about. I want you to, to just be so, so aware of the goodness of God in heaven, and Steve's saying about that in, in God's presence today, but, but also we want to be so concerned about, we don't want anybody to populate that place that God has prepared for the devil and his dominions for punishment for their rebellion, and I don't want anybody else to populate that place that God prepared for the evil one to be for eternity. Now, let me give you a bigger, bigger perspective. And I've shared this before. What is the Bible about? The Bible is about telling you what it has happened and what is going to happen. What has happened? We got here. How did that begin? Creation. Well, what's the problem we're now currently in? We fell from God. We rebelled against God. That's where sin came in. And what has been happening between creation and the fall and now is God's salvation plan has been worked out. And from the very beginning, God was rescuing his people, reconciling people to himself. But what happens after Jesus coming the first time, which gives the invitation to respond to him by faith and be rescued from the penalty of sin because of what he did on the cross? What's coming is when God restores all things back to its original plan. However you want to describe um, uh, the Garden of Eden, it was paradise. Would you agree? I mean, they had everything to eat, everything to enjoy. There wasn't anything tarnished by sin or evil. It was paradise. Well, paradise is going to be revisited when God restores all things. Now, for us to live in light of that future, we should be aware of what's going to be happening. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, I'm going to reverse some of the things and the ways I shared it in the, in the first service because I want to get to some of the stuff immediately and then brush over some of the other stuff as well. I'm going to go to the very end. Okay, what is going to happen in the end? And some of you might have heard about this before. Global warming, anybody hear about global warming? I want to tell you right now, global warming is a reality. It is a reality. But it's not a man-made thing. It's a God thing. And so we need to realize there is a global warming that's coming, but God is going to do it. I shared a little bit in the first service why I don't think man is the one who's going to bring this to pass, but I don't have time to do that. And I already, you know what, I don't have time because I wasted too much time last time. So anyway, it's not going to be our carbon footprint that's going to cause it. 
God has ordained this world where he, he's got things under control, and our temperature right now is the same, time, same temperature as they look back as it was in the Middle Ages. We're not any hotter now than it was in the Middle Ages. And actually, the, the temperature hasn't really increased since 2000. There was a 15-year period of time where the, the temperature kept increasing, 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 and then it's leveled off. That has been standard throughout history. We ought to be... We ought to be careful about what we do in our environment. I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful about it, but it's not going to happen. This, this world is not going to end because of what man does, but it is going to end, and there is a plan for that, and God's going to do it. Well, let's look at it. The future will include God's global warming with the new heavens and the new earth coming. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord is a phrase that symbolizes God's judgment, okay? This is, not, this is not Brian Bora's birthday when we say it's the day of the Lord. This is not the Lord's day in terms of we celebrate, you know, him. It's the day of judgment. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, which simply means this. For some, it's gonna come as a surprise. Now, if you knew right now that someone was in your place of living stealing things out of your home, and you knew beforehand they were going to be coming at this exact hour, would you have done something? Of course you would have. You would have called the police and said, they're going to come at 11 o'clock, and I want you to be there and catch them red-handed, okay, because you knew they were coming. Now, for those who believe the Bible and have read the Bible, do we believe that judgment is coming? Yes. So it should not catch us by surprise. But for other people who don't believe it's going to happen, it's going to catch them by surprise because they don't believe it. And they don't think it's going to actually happen. But he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, a surprise, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament, God did destroy the earth one time and he did it with what? Water. He says, I'm never going to do that again. Did anybody see the rainbow this last year? I'm speaking fast because I got a lot of things to say. So you got to keep up, right? So you, you remember the rainbow? Did anybody see the rainbow this year? I usually move around so fast, I, I miss the rainbows. And I don't smell the flowers, and I don't see the rainbows. But I saw it this past week. Okay, that's a promise. It's not going to happen that way. But he never said it's not going to happen a different way. And he tells us right here, it's going to happen, and, th- and this whole earth is going to burn up. And he says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, and, so you're, and, and I'm about to tell you what he's about to say. He says, well, okay, so we know it's going to burn up. Well, what is that? How, how should that make me any different knowing that future? Well, he says this. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? Because you know there's going to be into this world. Okay, do we know that's going to happen? Yes. Why do we know it's happening? Because the preacher said so? No, because the Bible said so. And so he said, if it's going to happen, how should that impact how you live? Well, that's going to happen, and God's going to do it. I ought to live a more holy life. Now, that doesn't mean you polish your halo. Okay? Well, what it means is I want to live in such a way that honors God. Okay? This don't be over-spiritual here. It means live in such a way that I live in a way that people can see how good God is rather than most people look at God as portrayed by Christians, and they're saying, well, God is only against things, right? Well, he's against sin, but he's for a lot of other things, isn't he? 
He's, he's for people experiencing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He's, he's for all those things. So we ought to live in such a way that, can, that people can see how good God is, right? That's, that's what holy living is. That's what godly living is. It's selfless living. It's not living selfish lives. When we are selfish and we say we're a Christian, people think who's selfish? God is. Any, anything that we do that doesn't reflect on God's character, that's how people think about God. Don't do that. Am I speaking fast enough? <sighs> okay. I didn't get through any of this to the first service. All right. Looking for and hastening to come in the day. We, we ought to be living in such a way that, that we are eagerly being involved in God's program. God's program is rescuing people. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. When we're about that, then we're hastening the coming of the day. That's the only reason he hasn't come before. God is not slow about his promise. Like some people say, well, he hasn't come for 2,000 years. That means he's not what? He's not coming. No, no, no. He doesn't desire any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so he says this, but according to his promise, we are looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Quickly, if you have your Bible, because I'm not going to wait for you. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Okay, why, why should we be so happy about, about heaven? Because it's better than the happiest place here on earth, Disneyland, all right? It's, it's free and, you know, it's, it's not... Well, yeah, and let me think, let me just say that. Heaven's not going to be crowded in the sense that you're bumping into everybody all the time. If you need your space, you'll have, enough, you'll have plenty of space. He's got the whole universe to populate us. Isn't that the, the bad thing about Disneyland? It's all the people there. Can you just not go there when I go there? Okay, but you know what I mean? It's a happy place, but it can be, it's just like it can be, that's a whole other point. All right, anyway, look at Revelation chapter 21. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And, and let me just say this. If the things of this earth capture our heart so powerfully, would not the truth the reality, because God has said it, that's why it's reality, that it's all going to be gone, change how valuable we think they, those things are, right? If you knew whatever you thought was important today was gone tomorrow, would you, you know, you'd say, well, it can't be that important if it's not going to last, right? You, you, you know, why do people like antiques? Because they've lasted a what? A long time. And, and look at the things of this earth. They're going to be burned up. They're going to be gone, but the good news is we're going to get something better. It's not like Crest, the new and improved toothpaste. You know, I, I never thought it was that improved when I... Well, no, okay. For, for, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold... The tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will, will be, shall be his people, and will be among them. And then these verses, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, isn't that a place where you want to live? Because let me just put it this way. Have you ever been joyful? I mean, these things are going great. You're happy. Everything's just like, you're on cloud nine, wherever cloud nine is. Okay, it's just, and then something robs you of your joy. Maybe you get a phone call, you get a letter, something bad happens, and you were so joyful just one moment, and it was ruined the next. See, heaven, it works both ways. We are in the presence of the one where joy is personified. God is the source of joy. 
And he also says, every, every source that will rob you of your joy will be gone. So what's the point there in terms of being ready and prepared for what's happening next? We live differently because we know our future is settled. That the things that can, that can cause us to worry and to long after because we don't have them, there's nothing wrong with having things and liking things, but, but when you don't have them, how much is that you, know, you become obsessed with or overly concerned about? And he's saying, look, it, it's going to be so much better in the future. And because of that, you can live a holy life and a godly life and, and be content. God is not calling us to be complacent. We ought to pursue life to its fullest and accomplish things and be involved in people's lives and create things and all those kind of things. But, but that's not what life is all about, right? Uh, what life is really about is realizing we have a creator and a savior, and it's knowing that our future is settled, and, and this is not the best life you're going to have now, which is a book someone wrote that I don't think you really ought to focus on. It's the best life you're going to have. That's what's really important. And so we ought to be prepared and ready. And, so, and then the worries of life, wanting more, not having enough, is not going to overwhelm us because that's the future. Well, what's going to happen before that? This is what I didn't get to in the first service. Now, now turn to the, the last point in your outline, all right? There is an agenda in terms of, how, or there's, there are stages of what's going to happen next. And, and there are people who disagree with the details of Jesus coming again. I would say this, if you don't believe that Jesus is coming again, you just, you just really can't read this book. I'm going to probably share this again next week, but in the New Testament, there, there are 260 times where Jesus, 260 chapters in which the return of Jesus is in the New Testament books, 318 times. One out of every 25 verses, it's referred to Jesus coming again. Now, if he said it that many times, 318 times, I'm pretty convinced he's what? He's coming again, all right? This is a simple pastor, so you can respond simply, all right? He's coming again. He wants us to remember that, okay? But he's going to come in stages, I believe. Or there, there, are, there, are, there are stages of what's going to happen when he comes again. And the reason we know that is because he's talked about it. He's inspired his, his men to, to write it down for us. And let me tr- tell you, it, it, this was true about Jesus coming the first time. And this is where we begin to understand the Bible in its, in its entirety. When, when, when the Messiah was to come, his people thought that's when he was going to fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament about the Messiah's power and reign. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child will be born and a son will be given. We use that verse at what time of the year? Christmas. That's a Christmas verse. But if it goes on, it says, oh, oh, by the way, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. In fact, his, his power increased from the government, and righteousness and justice will reign in the land. Now, let me ask you, that was in two verses, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. Has all that happened yet? Is there justice and righteousness in every land in the world? You want to live in North Korea? Okay. Is, is there total peace even in our land? Are people shooting people in our land? Well, what happened? The Messiah, we believe the Messiah came, but that hasn't happened. Why? Because he wasn't just coming once, he was coming twice. And so it was a mystery to them. It wasn't fully understood or fully revealed. It was hinted at, but it wasn't fully revealed. And that's why when they came, when Jesus came, they, they struggled with that because they thought they were going to be set free from Rome and all the power that was oppressing them. And, and Jesus said, you know, what's oppressing you is not 
so much the Rome, but it's your own sin. And so he came to, to deal that which is on the inside. And that was true for the people of Israel, and it was also true for us as well. Because who do you really complain to when things go wrong? Ultimately, you, proclaim to, you complain to who? God, I, I do. Are you more spiritual than I am? <laughs> you know, I mean, when things go wrong, who do we complain to? Well, you complain to the person next to us, whatever I bet, but eventually we say, God, why did you allow this to happen, right? Let's be honest. Can we be honest in church? That ultimately, was God, you could have stopped this. You could have prevented this. This didn't have to happen. And so we struggle with that. It's not a sin to be tempted that way, okay? It's not, it's not a sin to have that thought, but then you have to say, okay, you got to rein that thought in and say, okay, wait a minute. Because bad things happen in this world, I should not be surprised. Bad things will happen in this world. God could have. We believe he's all-powerful, right? He could have prevented him. That's why we naturally think it's his fault because he could have changed it. But he has a plan that we don't always understand. So we say, okay, God, I trust you. I was, I was listening to Steve's song. It was in that song as well. Okay, bad things are going to happen. But we trust him, right? And how we can trust him is, okay, it is going to be made all new and perfect, but it's going to be in the, what? Future, in the end, in the last of his plan. And so if, we don't, if we're not convinced of our future, if we're not living in light of our future, we will not live victoriously in this, in this life. We will be filled with worry. We will be filled with greed. We will be filled, always wanting more to be content. And so I said, look it, you've got to be ready, prepared for Jesus coming again. Now, how's he going to come? Here's, I already didn't quite get there, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 53, all right? Now, here's where people diverge from the details of Jesus coming again, and, and I think many miss it. Um, there are many who get it. Uh, there's all kinds of views of the book of Revelation. We went through that for an extended period of time a few years ago, in which as you look at Revelation, some people look at it from a predish perspective. And some of you, this is all brand new. And you say, why are you telling me this? But some of them look in the past. It's all happened in the past. It's all gone. Uh, Re- Matthew 24, the whole book of Revelation happened in 7 AD. They think that's, that's all, it all happened back then. Okay? Some people look at idealistic. It's basically you know, good versus evil and, and good wins in the end. And, and so it's nothing concrete. You know, so, and then there's a various other ways people look at it. And some look at it, okay, yeah, he is coming and, and uh, we need to look at it that um, what are some of the, the stages and what will happen and they'll, they'll, they'll wrestle with the stages. Well, let, let me just tell you how I look at the stages of how Jesus will come. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 53. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be dressed ready here but if, if God doesn't give you a new dressing, a new body, you're not going to be able to populate heaven. Right? Your, your body is not made to, to live in heaven. Would, would you agree with me? Shake your head. Right? You're not going to be able to float up there in the body you got. You'll just fall back. You know. it's, not going to, it's not going to happen. Plus, it won't last very long. It doesn't work very well. Anybody want to keep the body they got the way it is exactly right now? He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. What is a mystery? A mystery is not like some... Um, What's, what's any of your favorite, have a favorite mystery writer? Um, okay, none of you read mysteries, don't worry about it. Okay, behold, I tell you a mystery. Th- this is not something who done it type thing. This is, okay, it hasn't been fully revealed, but now I'm revealing it to you. I'm telling you the mystery. I'm telling you what happens in the last chapter. I tell you a mystery. 
We will not all sleep, which means death, but we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Then what, what are you saying here? Look, I want you to know there's, there's gonna, something going to happen. It's going to happen so quick that it's going to be, it, it, it's instant. Bam, it happens like the twinkling of an eye. Well, what is that? Was it ever hinted at before? Well, actually, I think it was hinted at in the Gospel of John, that, that passage. I use it oftentimes in services in John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do, you know, do not be afraid. Uh, for I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also, and you will be with me forever. Well, he's speaking about inviting people up to be with him. Well, how's that going to happen? Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. And if you're worried about, is he going to get through all those other points? The answer is no, so relax. Okay, first lesson chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Some try and say, I don't want you to be ignorant. Okay, anybody like being ignorant? Okay, no, I want to be in the know. If, I, if, 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 it's, if it's a need to know or it's helpful to know, I want to know. He says, so, so you might not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And really, in, in Scripture, there's a contrast. There are people who who know what God has unveiled and those people who don't know. And he said, I don't want you to be like the people who don't know. And, and what was happening, they were, they, were, they were sad about the people who had died in Christ that were believers and saying, I think they've missed out something because they were looking forward to this glorious return of Jesus. And then he says this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and if you're a Christian, that's essential right there, right? You got to believe that Jesus died Physically, it wasn't. There are some uh, in the um, Islamic uh, faith that believe that Jesus never really died. You know, they put somebody else in there and all kinds of stuff. You know, we believe that Jesus died, uh, but also he rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, though have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, which would include us at this point and those who were reading the text at that point, and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So we're not going to be the first one brought up. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, oh, by the way, comfort one another with these words. Now, the word rapture is not in here, but it's the, it's the word uh, caught up. There's going to come a time. It's going to happen in the twinkling of eye. It, it, it's going to happen uh, soon in, in, from the standpoint is we don't know when it's going to happen. But when it happens, it will happen suddenly, rapidly. And we're going to be caught up to be with him. And, and what he wants us to know is that we should live like this could happen at any moment. It could happen before the preacher finishes preaching. It could happen before... You get home today. It could happen at any moment. And we ought to be ready and prepared for that. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he, he kind of goes on and he, he compares those who do know and don't know. Now is the times in the epics, brethren. You have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now what he's saying, it's not going to come like a thief in the night to you in the sense that you're going to be surprised by it because if you know it's going to happen, you shouldn't be what? Surprised. You know, I, I, 
I, I believe if the Lord doesn't come and something doesn't happen to me today, that tomorrow I'll be a, a day older than I am today. Okay? That, that won't surprise me. Man, I feel older today. Well, why are you surprised? I mean, it's, you know, it's one more day you've lived than yesterday. He said, you, you shouldn't be surprised by this. There are going to be some people who are. And he says, for yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, they were saying everything's going well. I mean, everything seems to be fine. But then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. And what this is, what I believe, is the rapture or the catching up of God's saints into heaven to be with him. You know, God's going to beam us up, and we're going to be in, in heaven with him. When that happens, that's the trigger when the great tribulation will happen. That's what's going to trigger it. And then he goes on, but you, you brethren, are not in darkness so that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. You know, we, we're not in the dark. We're in the light. God has told us these things. Now, he's told everybody these things, but some people don't read this book and they don't believe it, right? But if you read this book and believe it, then God says, look, this is not by surprise. I'm revealing this to you. The mystery is unfolded. But those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Okay, we, we treasure this more than anything else in life. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the period of time that's going to happen after the, the church's rapture, there is going to be the expression of God's wrath on this earth. And God says, I have not destined that to you. Who died for us, that wherever, whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. So why should we be ready? Why should we have our flashlights turned on? Why don't we make sure there's batteries in them? Because we, we want to be ready and prepared for Jesus when he comes. And we ought to be ready by being joyfully anticipating his, his coming. We ought to be ready by, by being faithful in our service. We, we ought to be ready because we're, 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 we're wanting him to come. And there are, there are no signs for this to happen. The problem when you, when you, you know, the problem when people do that, they write books and say he's going to come in 1988, 1989, 2004, 2015, 2016, and you go back in history, is they're looking for signs to predict this. There are no signs to predict this. It could happen at any moment. Throughout history, it could have happened at any moment. How long would it have taken God to bring the people of Israel back to, to Palestine? In an instant. 1948 is significant, but that is not necessarily a sign that says that Jesus is coming, coming, this, because this is a signless event. Now, what's going to happen? There are signs for his, his time, period of destruction, and this is, this is where I'm just going to tell you what's in the outline. I'm not going to look at those passages if I can find my outline somewhere. We went from the first to the last. What's going to happen? There's going to be a global warning, and there's going to be end of this world, but then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. What will start that out is the rapture of the church. Uh, if you're on the back page, what will happen right after that will be the great tribulation on earth. And it'll be like a time like no other time in all of history before and after. So even when we look back at 70 AD, which was a horrific time, was the partial fulfillment of this path of the prophecies of Jesus, it is not the full story. It was a partial fulfillment. 
And then, and then after that, there'll be a millennial reign of Jesus on the earth, a thousand-year reign, which is, which is outlined in Revelation chapter 20. And let me just tell you, you know, why, why is God going to set up a kingdom here on earth? And we pray that all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, what? And thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God is going to set up a plan here, very simply, is, is there's going to be a thousand-year period of time which will be populated by real people, and everything will be ideal, even more so than the first paradise or the Garden of Eden. Because at that time, there was an enemy of, of, of mankind, Adam and Eve. There was the evil one, their serpent. Well, the devil and his angels will be imprisoned for a thousand years. We often are, are people who want to shift the blame. Anybody like to shift the blame here? I do it all the time. Alice! <laughs> when my kids are in my house, my kids, you know, you know we, we like to blame other people. Well, there's going to be nobody to blame during this thousand year. You can't even say the devil made me do it. But there were people who still rebel against God. And after that thousand-year reign, there'll be one last battle. Satan and all his followers will be defeated. There'll be a, a final judgment of the unrighteous. And then the global warming will happen. Now, let's look at that final judgment. That final judgment, and there's many passages in Scripture that describe hell, but hell's going to be a place in which people, just like the evil one, and his dominions will be tormented day and night forever. And everyone will be judged forever because of their sin. The, the, the problem that we have in all of us is uh, we define what other people do as really bad and what we define what we do as not that bad, Right? And the Bible says, you know, if you've messed up in one commandment, it's like you messed up in all of them. And all of us break the most important commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Soul of mine. And we, we take the God who created us, made us, died for us, and we put him on the shelf someplace in the distance and think about him once a week or twice a year, or whatever it might be, and, and we just trample the name of God so easily in how we live. And, and so those who haven't been rescued from the penalty of that because of Jesus, there'll be an eternal judgment. And so what's the point this morning? The point this morning, it, it, I, I hope for some of you I scared the hell out of you. You don't want to go there. You don't want anyone you care about to go there. And, and, and we're not, God has not called any of us to be Billy Graham. There's only one Billy Graham, but he's called all of us to be concerned about lost people that we know. And what does he want us to do? He wants us to pray for them. He, he wants us to be concerned about them. It, it, it's, it's as simple as that. And he'll open up doors to try to be an influence on them, but just pray for them. And then as we go through life and we're, we're filled with the challenges of life, and sometimes it seems overwhelming. What he wants us to do, he wants us to be happy about heaven. 
Because when we're happy about heaven, all those things that somehow just overwhelm us, it's not that important. So let me ask you this morning, are you, are you happy about heaven? Do you see the, the gravity of hell? Do you see the opportunity to live a life where you, you, embrace, where you embrace what God's plan is for you by faith and say, God, your, your plan is the best plan. I, I just want to walk with you. I want to live in such a way that people can see Jesus in me. That's, that's the simple plan of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we look at what you've said in your word, that we might love it and believe it and follow it and obey it. And it's not only for, for the good of this world, but it's, it's so impactful in our lives as well. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that's burdened down by the things of this world. I pray that they not, might not necessarily minimize them, but they might see in light of eternity that you've got them covered. And Father, I would pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. I, I would pray that they might come to that place in their life where they admit their need and turn from their sin. They would believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again on their behalf and paid the penalty for their sin. I would pray that they would commit and choose to believe and follow Jesus as Lord and God, as the leader and forgiver of their lives. They might enter into that relationship with with Jesus that you offer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude this morning, I invite you.